Today on the show, my guest is going to explain how he was able to use his martial arts background to essentially get back on his feet after life threw some punches at him and knocked him down. He's back on his feet. He's a professional MMA fighter, and he's even got a fight coming up in a couple of days. You don't want to miss this episode of The Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Boo! Everybody, welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Larson, coming at you today with a special guest all the way from the beaches of San Diego, California, Mr. Brendan Raftery. Brendan, thanks so much for joining me. Of course, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm honored. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and did I pronounce your last name correctly? Is it Raftery? How do you pronounce that? You did, man, and you are one of the few people who get that right. Um, I've had my, my first name and my last name. It's pretty much butchered. Uh, by, by most people, and I don't know why, dude, it's not that hard, you know what I mean? You just got to kind of read it, how it's spelled, and you should be able to pronounce it correctly, so I appreciate that, thank you, and yes, you did say it right. Awesome, man. Well, I, yeah, you know, what's funny is I was actually listening before, and I think it was one of your fights um, from a while back, and somebody called you Rafferty, and then other people around the, the valley um, were calling you the same thing, but I was like, no, that's not how it's spelled, so okay, anyways, I'm glad that was pronounced correctly. So, Brennan, you're all the way down in San Diego. What are you doing down there? Like, what what is your job? Like, what are you doing full-time? Uh, well, dude, I, I came down to San Diego, and um, I was working when I first got here. I was working uh, just like a warehouse job, you know, just, just doing mindless kind of general labor. And I was fortunate enough to come across a coaching position at the, the MMA gym I was training at. So, and I've been doing that ever since, man. And so honestly, I, I don't, I don't have a normal job, dude. I feel like I won at life already because that was one of my biggest goals was to not have to work for like a normal job or have a normal boss. You know what I mean? You know, for working for, for some company where I, I didn't really have any passion for what I was doing. Um, and like every day I was in that warehouse, man, my soul was just like screaming that this wasn't the right place for me and I needed to get out of there. And I don't really do well with someone telling me what to do and taking orders from someone. So like, I knew I had to find a way to become my own boss and find a way to support myself, you know, and I was able to, to do that by, by at the gym I was at um, was fairly, fairly new. And I was talking to my coach and I was like, Hey man, if you need any extra coaches, I would love to, to try to help out. And he had enough faith in me to bring me on as a coach. And I kind of branched out from there and started doing like personal training sessions and just kind of passing on the knowledge that I had to other people and, and, you know, helping people achieve their fitness goals or if they wanted to learn boxing or jiu-jitsu, whatever it was. So that's what I do for income and I'm a coach and kind of a personal trainer. And it's, I, I love it. It's one of the best things I've ever had the privilege of doing in my life. And I'm just so happy that I don't have to have a normal job anymore. That's, I, like I said, I feel like I want it life. So, yeah. Man, that's you're doing exactly what I mean. Pretty much like 98 percent of the population wants to do. So power to you, man. That's that's a blessing, dude. That's freaking awesome. Good for you. Absolutely, oh, appreciate so it. You, yeah, for sure. And you're down in Southern California, but we're gonna get to the story of how you even showed up down there because for the listeners, uh, Brendan was actually from the same valley where I'm at here in Idaho, um, kind of in the Treasure Valley area, right outside of Boise, uh, a couple miles, a couple miles out of Boise here in Meridian. Um, but we're going to get to that. Uh, but you're, you're known for 
your mixed martial arts fighting, but I kind of want to talk about your early days, man. Uh, before you even got into to mixed martial arts, what were your early days of martial arts or any kind of training in that, in that, that aspect, I should say? Sure, yeah. So when I was really young, man, five years old actually was, was the age, uh, my parents threw me in Kempo Karate. And uh, that's where it all started, man. I'm, I'm forever grateful for them doing that for me. And it's just, it felt like I was supposed to be a fighter from, from day one. Uh, they, threw, they found a, a local karate school there in Meridian, Idaho, and uh, enrolled me. And, like, you know, at, at that age, you don't really know what you're doing. You don't really, you know, you're just kind of there because your parents are making you be there. But I really appreciate those early days on. That's kind of what instilled that martial artist spirit in me. And that's really where it started, man, is I, I did Kempo Karate for about seven or eight years, I want to say, and was able to achieve my black belt in that. And then around 15, I think was the age, 14 or 15, um, I had kind of moved on. I was already kind of playing around with like jiu-jitsu. I was aware of like MMA and what it was, and I would watch old UFC tapes that my, my dad had. You know, I'd watch those and just get all geeked out over those. So I was aware that there was more than karate, and I, you know, I wanted to learn the other stuff too. And uh, so kind of just started learning jiu-jitsu on my own. You know, there's there's me and actually some of my buddies at Kempo. We would practice jiu-jitsu. We didn't really know what we were doing. You know, we would just kind of mess around with, with arm locks and whatnot and try to figure out, you know, if I bend this the wrong way, is that, does that hurt? You know, those are like the early days of women's <laughs> So, you know what I mean? So like, we're lucky we didn't end up in the hospital. But um, so, yeah, just kind of progressed from karate, messing around with jiu-jitsu. I found another local uh, jiu-jitsu school there. Um, under Tom Sutnett, who was really my first jiu-jitsu coach. Shout out to Tom Sutnett. Um, and I uh, got into jiu-jitsu, and then what really, really helped me out was getting into wrestling. Um, I started wrestling in middle school and uh, progressed into high school as well. And I, I say this all the time, man, but like high school wrestling really made me kind of who I am, kind of made me a man, and really taught me about what work ethic is and how to just kind of conduct yourself. And there's a I'm really, really grateful to, for wrestling, man, and just kind of the man it made me. And I still carry that, that hard work ethic and that spirit of a wrestler into my everyday life and training. You know, there's a saying that goes, once you've wrestled, everything else in life is easy. And, uh, you know, I really kind of believe that. Those, those wrestling practices were still some of the hardest days of my life, and I'm forever grateful for that. So, yeah, and, you know, like I said, man, just kind of progressed from, from karate to jiu-jitsu and, and wrestling and and. You know, I always knew I was going to fight. I always, that's what I wanted to do. I've always been a scrappy little punk kid and always found myself getting into like street fights in those scenarios. So I always knew I'd be a fighter, man. And just, it was a natural progression. I, I love it. You know, I love the sport. That's so freaking awesome. Okay. So you went from Kempo, one question in Kempo, because um, I, I was talking to you before we actually started recording about Kempo Karate. Do you remember one of the very first moves they ever teach you in Kempo? And it was called Alternating Maces. Do you ever remember that? <laughs> you know, I, I don't remember that exact move, but that just makes me laugh because of all that. There was a lot of, like, silly, silly techniques that they were teaching, you know. Yeah. And uh, I, I briefed, I, I, like, very vaguely remember what that is. But re remind me, what does that consist of? So the alternating maces was essentially like a three-strike, you're out kind of thing. Somebody grabs you two-handed on the chest, and you break it with your front hand hit him in the sternum with a with a basically a, a straight from your your backhand and then you back knuckle him to finish it off and i just thought it was really funny it was like if somebody grabs you with two hands boom 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 and it was just called alternating maces i just thought it was funny <laughs> the good old days man so you went 
you went from the striking world in Kempo because it was basically all striking. That was one of the things I kind of I loved about Kempo was it was a lot of striking with your hands. There was some kicks involved, but there's a lot of hand stuff. And I always loved, I was intrigued by like punching. Um, so I loved Kempo. Um, so then you go into uh, jujitsu and then also into the wrestling world. And you talked about the wrestling practices, bro. I'm not even kidding you. I've, I've talked about this before with other people. When I was, when I was in high school, I was just a few years older than you, but I'm sure you guys were practicing. I, I mean, I was a senior when you were probably a sophomore or, fr- or a junior, but dude, the wrestling practices would be going on while we were in basketball practice. So we're down on the court and the wrestlers are, you know, running laps. And I remember, um, <laughs> we'd be on the court downstairs and we thought we had it hard. We'd see guys running over, puking in the trash can, getting right back at it. They're doing down and backs and all sorts of crap. Dude, it was disgusting. I could not believe y'all were doing it. You guys were running stair laps. Like, and I'm talking about stair laps where you like you had the four corners of the, the entire gym and you were going up the stairs and then across and then down the stairs and you had somebody on your back. Dude, that's insane. Oh yeah, man. That's just an that's, a, that's an everyday thing. That was just part of the part of the, you know, warm up. Seriously, that it was so crazy, man. It was literally like you know, you'd, so you'd be in school all day. You show up, you get at school at, you know, 8.30 a.m., whatever, and you go through your school day, and then you're already tired from school. And as soon as school's over, you have to go straight to wrestling practice, you know. And, man, it's just, you go in, and it's, it's usually about a three-hour practice, and you walk into this mat room, and it just instantly reeks of just, like, sweat and tears. And the temperature's cranked up to, like, 80, and you're literally just, wrestling and conditioning for three hours you know our coach would give us like one water break it was like a minute long he'd be yelling at you to get back on the mat and you know at the in the moment you're like this is hell but then you come out of that and you realize that you realize it, it lets you know what you're capable of as a human being you know and how far you can really push yourself and uh, yeah and i remember always because basketball season and wrestling season were always like the same time right so i right. we always be practicing the same time as you guys and then it would be like little parts of my mind as I'm walking in the wrestling room, like, damn, I should have fucking played basketball, you know? But I just, yeah, man, wrestling, wrestling was awesome, and I'm, I'm really grateful for it. Man, power to you, man. That's, that's some crazy stuff. And I think any wrestler, it doesn't matter which school you went to, whatever, like they can probably say the same thing. Those, those practices are unlike anything I've ever seen. So you go from, go from wrestling, and now you're kind of like, you see this mixed martial arts stuff. Uh, it, it's starting to take... I guess when I was in high school, I graduated in 2006, but like it wasn't really hitting its, it didn't have like a rhythm going here in the Valley. Nobody really knew about mixed martial arts unless you were doing what you said, like before, like people like yourself who were kind of, you know, you had that mixed, or sorry, you had that martial arts background with like Kempo and you were watching old UFC tapes, by the way, the original UFC tapes, like with Hoist Gracie and all them, those are the best fights in the entire world. Those are the way fights should be. That's just my opinion. You know, no weight class. Just go ahead and just go at it until someone's done. That's just, I love those. Who was your favorite fighter, by the way? I just want to ask you that. From the originals, from the originals, like when you were watching old school stuff. Um, You know, I didn't really have, you know, actually that's a lie. He told Belfort was my favorite. Um, and shout out to him. He just recently retired. He's been doing it forever. But he was the guy that, like, I wanted to be when I was younger. I remember watching him. He was 18 years old in the UFC. And I, the first time I saw him, I had an old VHS that it was UFC 12. And um, he was 18 years old, just this young Brazilian kid. And his nickname was The Phenom. And I remember watching this dude and just his hand speed, man. He would throw these combinations, and it was just, like, lightning quick. And he was just dropping guys that had, you know, 60 pounds on him and he was just running through the heavyweight division and he was my early on my hero man I was watching him like I want to be like V12 
gold belt for it. That's the guy right there. Because he's this young kid beating grown men. And I'm like, that is the coolest thing ever. So shout out to Vitor Belfort. Vitor Belfort, man. And just that gives me chills because I used to study tapes when I was younger. I was studying tapes of all these fighters. And I had a king of the cage tape of Vitor Belfort fighting in the championship against a dude who was he outweighed him by close to 80 pounds and the announcers are talking it's also on VHS so it's funny that you're saying that's why it gave me chills the guy the the announcer goes yeah we got the the lightning quick guy right here da, 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 and they're talking about the power of the the big dude and then he goes but I'm just telling you guys right now Roy Jones isn't going to knock out Mike Tyson well go figure 20 seconds into the match dude he just drops the dude hits him quick hands boom guy drops he jumps on top of him finishes him off with the strikes in the back it was amazing so you you kind of were this is why i say you were the pioneer of mma mixed martial arts in our city because like i said when i graduated high school it really wasn't i mean i boxed and that was kind of cool back then boxing was pretty big it was getting big in the valley with golden gloves and such and we had some good fighting fighting clubs around here but you kind of started off, it was you and another kid that uh, were at our high school that kind of really took MMA by the horns and kind of went with it. How did you get into MMA when it wasn't even that big? Where did you guys start here in the Valley? Where was the, where were the gyms, and how did you even get interested in fighting when nobody else was really doing it? Yeah, so like, like I was saying, man, it was just I, I always kind of knew, you know, even on a subconscious level that I wanted to fight. Um, it just kind of felt like something I was pulled to do, you know, that doesn't mean it like it didn't scare me or that I didn't, you know, I, I know how crazy it is. I know it's a crazy career choice, but I just always like, I enjoyed fighting. When I found myself smacked down in the middle of a fist fight, I would catch myself and be like, man, this is awesome. My adrenaline's pumping. And it was always just fun to me, man, you know? And um, so the first, the first gym I was at was a gym called Primal Tribe. And that was ran by the coach I mentioned earlier, Tom Subnet. And it was mostly a jiu-jitsu gym, man, honestly. That's kind of where I first started learning jiu-jitsu. And that, it worked perfectly with my wrestling. So I kind of started off as more of a grappler. Um, I had some striking experience from karate. But I was definitely more of a grappler on in my, in, my, in my early days. I always wanted to take the fight to the ground and just hold people down and beat on them. You know, that was way more fun for me. I'm like, I don't even want to give you a chance on the feet to hit me. I'm just going to take you down and hold you down and, and beat you up, you know. And, um, so yeah, Primal Tribe was the first gym that I trained at. And it was just a small gym. We had like a, uh, you know, it was really funny was the, uh, the location was like this upstairs little rental spot right above this Mexican restaurant. And, um, I can't remember the name of the restaurant. I think it's gone now. Um, it's like Casa de Mexico or something like that, but really good spot too. They had some good chicken enchiladas, but it was right above that restaurant just in this little tiny rental space and we just had a, a rolled out mat you know just old school style man and we would just roll and and beat the hell out of each other and uh, that's kind of where it started and uh, yeah man those are the those are the good days man okay so what year was that that you guys actually started training there uh let's see i i was i was i want to say 15 years old so whatever year that was i want to say like 2008 something like that i had my my first mma fight was when i was 15 years old i was just about to be 16 and uh we had to lie to the commission my parents signed this waiver that i was 16 so that i could fight but i was i was really 15 my birthday was still like two or three weeks away um so i don't remember the exact year i started training for almost try but i know i was only like 14 or 15 years old crazy and then you fought when you were 15 uh did you win your first fight I did, man. Yeah, I, I, I was 15, and I, I remember fighting dude who was 22, 
and uh, the fight was just like chaos, man. The fight started, and I ended. It was when, as an amateur, you could still knee to the head. It was, it was pretty crazy, man. There's basically no rules, and you still knee to the head as an amateur. So I remember, I uh, kind of just like blacked out. I swear, like the fight started, and it, it felt like someone had like pressed the stopwatch. Like, all right, let's see how fast you can finish this. And I remember just kind of locking up with the dude. I got him in like a headlock kind of, and started just kneeing him in the head over and over again. And I felt it kind of collapse. And then ended up uh, sinking in a guillotine and choked him and ended up getting the tap. So, yeah, I won my first fight. Dude, I was hooked. I'm like, this, this is as terrifying as this was. This was also, you know, exhilarating. And I knew that this is what I was going to be doing, you know. Props to you, man. I bet the 22-year-old uh, probably never wanted to fight again. You just got beat by a high schooler. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you ever fought again or not. That's awesome, though. So you started your amateur career on a high note then. Um, how many fights did you have as an amateur before you decided to make the turn pro? I had uh, eight amateur fights. Um, I went six and two as an amateur, and then on my on my eighth fight, kind of just you know coordinated, coordinated with my coaches at the time and decided that, yeah, I was ready enough to, to move on to the pro ranks, and that's what I wanted anyway, so it just felt right to, to move on to the professional level. And can you explain for the listeners a little bit, like, so when you were starting as an amateur, you could still knee to the head, but what were some of the rule changes? I mean, when you went from amateurs to the pros, because some people have a, a lot of confusion in regards to an amateur MMA fighter and a, and a pro MMA fighter, because they don't, I mean, boxing, you can kind of tell the difference. It's like got headgear, blah, 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 blah. There's a little bit difference in, in amateurs, but what's the difference between MMA? Because they look the same almost when you're watching them. Yeah, exactly. It's very similar. So the main difference between professionals and amateurs, the professionals are getting paid. You know, that's that's the main difference is that when you're a professional athlete, you're getting paid for your performance, and that's, you know, that's what we're all trying to do. But um, when I started out, man, the only difference in, in MMA between amateur and professionals was that, was that you couldn't throw elbows. And honestly, that was it, man. When I started, like, hey, you can knee to the head, you can do all sorts of things, just don't throw elbows. Like, that was the only rule as an amateur. And once you turn pro, you could throw elbows. Um, and it varies from state to state, depending on the commission. It's not it's not one giant you know rule set. So it varies depending on which state you're competing in. Um, but I think they changed a lot of those rules now. I think I'm pretty sure that, that not many amateurs can knee to the head. Still no elbows. Um, but you're wearing the same gear. You know you have four ounce gloves and that's it. Um, there's some promotions here in California, especially that they will uh, make you wear shin guards. So you have shin guards, and I think there's even some that they'll they'll increase the um, the ounces on the gloves. So you're wearing a little bit larger gloves, and you got shin guards on. And I kind of like that, man. I think that at an amateur level, your first MMA fight, you know, just something a little more to protect you as you're as you're getting used to it. You know, I, I'm happy that I got to start in the like more barbaric days, just because it got me more experience early on. And um, but yeah, it's it's. The, the main difference between professionals and, and amateurs is pros get paid, you know, and that's what we're all trying to do. Solid, man. Okay, okay. So you went six and two as an Ami, then get into the pros. Let's discuss your your professional career up until this point. Um, how many pro fights have you had? So professional MMA fights, I have had um, eight as well, and I'm five and three as a pro currently. Okay, and when was your last fight that you had as a pro? Uh, my last pro fight was March 22nd of uh, this year, uh, so 2018, so just a couple months ago. All right. Now, what was the biggest – I know you – I want to say you fought for Bellator. Is that the biggest platform that you fought on before? Yeah, absolutely. That was definitely the biggest fight I've had, biggest platform I fought for. That was a real honor, man. Um, that was 
you know, we had, we had found out um, that Bellator was going to come to to Boise, and uh, we had a real solid group of guys at at the gym. I was at SBG, um, and so we were lucky enough. You know, they kind of go pick out local guys to fill up the undercard of their shows. So we got me and like a handful of my teammates to compete for Bellator. Man, that was a real honor. That was it was a cool chance to see kind of what that next level was like. Um, they still they've had they've had the nicest cage that I've ever fought in. Um, that canvas was just felt like I was fighting on a cloud, and just uh, it was just nice to see how things were kind of run at a higher level. So that was real cool. Man, that's so dope. Okay, so like, I so that's the high like the highest platform that you've fought on until now. Um, what were the nerves like though when you were were fighting there? Like, what were like? Did you have like was it an extra? oomph of like nervousness was it an extra like did you did you tighten up a little bit like how was it when you were trying to come out because you guys I, from what I understood you guys fought at the same arena that a lot of the you know other fights like front street fights and the smaller promotions fight at have did you, is that the only time you've ever fought at CenturyLink Arena or have, was it just different how was it yeah so um, I fought at that arena a lot, man, because I was fighting there in the early days when it was a promotion called XFS, I believe. And oh, yeah, Extreme just, Fight Series or something. Yeah, man, yeah. So I used to fight for those guys. So I fought at Century Link of Arena. Or Equestria, you remember that when you Equestria? Oh, yep. Equest. Um, so, I, yeah, I fought there, and then they changed it to Century Link. I probably had, I don't know, man, probably I want to say like six, seven, or eight fights in that arena so it's it's cool to fight there because it, it feels very familiar. And honestly, for the Bellator thing, man, I I wasn't nervous because of the Bellator thing. Um, I was just in a I was not in a good spot in my life. I was you know I was real down. Things weren't going my way at that particular time. And so the the nerves weren't because of the the stage. You know, I was actually amped up to be fighting for Bellator. I I like to be in those situations. I do my best when the lights are on and. The pressure's on and people expect you, you know, oh, you better live up to your Like, I like that. I like the, you know, I don't want to waste my time fighting for these, these no-name promotions. I'm trying to get to the top. So the opportunity to fight for Bellator was exciting. I was stoked to be there. Um, but I just had a lot going on in my personal life, and I was just at a low point. So the nerves mostly came from just, like, me being in a weird place in my own head and in my own life and just almost, like, wanting to just get the fight over with so I could move on to the next chapter of my life so that's honestly what it was man it was it was a weird feeling of like uh you know just kind of i wanted to get it over with it was strange but i I, you always have nerves when you compete so i had my nerves and i was probably you know one of the most nervous that i've ever been in that fight but it also was one of my better performances up until the point where the fight turned and i ended up losing that fight but um i had one of my better performances going in there you know scared so it is what it is man i would love to to get back to that stage or you know another promotion larger than them but um yeah yeah man you, you feed off your nerves in there it's, if, you, if you're not nervous and you're going in there's something wrong um i've noticed recently that like my nerves are actually getting less and less um just because i really i really believe in myself more and more and i realize just how good i am and so that the nerves are more like it's more like wanting to be able to perform at the level that i know i'm able to perform at it's no longer like nerves of like oh am i going to get hurt or is, um, no, no longer nerves of my opponent. I don't fear any man. It's more like I hope I can perform at the level that I know I'm capable of performing at. That's dope. That is so dope. Um, man, that's that's awesome. It's cool to see the progression that you've had. Just like talking to you now, and then kind of just watching you from the side for the last, you know, ten, fifteen years. 
just have the progression, the confidence, but it's it's a, it's not an arrogance, it's a confidence and there's a difference there. It's it's cool to watch um and it's cool to see and cool to hear about. Now, after after Bellator, you said you, you had a good fight, you ended up losing. That's one thing that's tough for me about the sports like MMA, like mixed martial arts and any kind of fighting sport for that matter is you know, you put a lot of time and effort into your training camps. Um, like you're going, you know, you, some, some, some camps are eight to 12 weeks. Some are even 16. Uh, some are even longer. Uh, it just depends. And you can be training, training, training. And sometimes all it takes is one guy to get a, a good shot. And that, I mean, I wouldn't even call it a lucky shot if they, you know, if they time it perfectly and you might be having a great fight. It, it turns it. There was a guy named Matt Jones. Um, I'm sure you know him. I had him on my show a couple months ago and he's a, he's a former teammate of mine. Yeah, Matt. Matt's a stud, and in his most recent fight, man, it was a bummer. I he got the guy caught him with the right hand at the beginning of the fight, and while he was able to, you know, fight back and actually make a great fight out of it until the last last round, he spent the whole first round trying to recover, and he was lucky he didn't, they didn't get called. So it's like that's what's so tough for me when you find yourself in situations like that. I guess when you train so hard and then maybe you get caught, um, and you're in the middle of a fight. Do you start feeling down? Like when you lost the Bellator fight, things were, you know, you were fighting well and you ended up getting caught and losing essentially at the end of it. How do you recover from that? And what were the next steps after the Bellator fight? Yeah, man, good question. So, I mean, now in hindsight, like looking back, it's all, it's all necessary experience. And like now if I, if I get hurt in a fight, it's nothing changes. My mindset, my mindset stays the same. I don't go like, Oh no, this, I'm in trouble. Like I focus, I don't show that I'm hurt. I focus you know, on myself and keeping my composure and I'm still trying to find ways to win until I'm either out cold or you gotta you gotta kill me. You know what I mean? Like you can hurt me in there and I'm not gonna stop. I'm gonna continue to find a way to take you out. Um, but those, you know, I I'm like that now because of the fights that I've been through where I've been hurt and I I you know, you get rocked and it takes your mind off of what you're gonna do and you focus on surviving, whatever, and that's just that's part of fighting, man. You have to appreciate those times where you do get hurt because it makes you realize, like, oh, I can come back from this and I can, I can still win this fight. And that's how you get great fights. That's how you get great comebacks. These guys who are almost out, they get dropped, they're almost finished, the ref lets it keep going, and that guy can come back and win the fight. And it, it turns into one of the greatest, you know, comebacks ever. So um, with my Bellator fight, that's almost exactly what it was. Um, I was, you know, like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't in a good spot in life, man. I was kind of going through depression. A lot of things in my personal life were just kind of not going going well. And um, that loss was kind of a straw that broke the camel's back. Like, I, you know, after that loss, I knew something had to change. And uh, moving to San Diego was one of those things. I needed new scenery. I needed new people around me. I had to kind of do some soul searching and figure out what my next move was. And um, ultimately came full circle and then I was like, no, nah, I'm still, I'm still going to do this. Like it's what I was meant to do. So like, there's no other option for me at this, at this moment. Um, I had to learn from that loss and understand what I did wrong and what I did wrong in preparation, what I did wrong in the fight. And that, that loss made me a better person. So you have to appreciate those moments man, because they make you stronger at the end of the day. So you head down to San Diego after that Bellator fight, you said things weren't going, weren't going your way. Can you kind of tell us like what the move was like when you decided, okay, I'm going to head down there? Sure. Yeah, it was it was awesome. I was I was excited. Like I said, I was just kind of in a low place. Um, I'll touch on that a little bit. I was um, I was down in Boise. I lived in Boise for I want to say 19 or 20 years, man, and I loved it. I was I'm I'm happy to have grown up in Boise, but eventually I just really outgrew that place. I outgrew the people there, and I just felt 
felt like I needed to get out of there, man. I was no longer, those last year or so, I just felt like I, I wasn't, wasn't home anymore and I needed to go somewhere else. And, um, I was dating a girl at the time and she had family down here in San Diego and she would come visit them. And one of the times she came to visit, she brought me with her and just kind of showed me around San Diego and showed me, you know, the awesomeness that is San Diego. And I just fell in love, man. I'm like, oh, this is the spot. Okay, I need to come here. And she had wanted to come here. And so we were planning to move here together. And um, we've been planning this move and looking at homes and apartments and all this stuff and getting all excited over it. And uh, we were about three weeks out, three or four weeks out from, from our, our planned move date. And we ended up splitting up. And, uh, you know, and that's, and like I said, it all kind of happened at once. Like we split up and then I lost my fight and I just wasn't in a good place, man. And so I decided, I'm like, well, I'm still going to San Diego. You know, I was like, I've already had my heart set on this and uh, I'm not going to let this hold me back. So I literally just kind of like threw everything in the back of my truck, whatever I could fit in my truck, you know, just my dresser, bed and everything else got tossed or given away. And I made the 14 hour drive straight from Boise to San Diego, you know, in one day and uh, drove up here. And it was a really cool feeling um, just driving and leaving Boise in my rear view, literally, you know, and just, and just knowing that I was off on this new adventure by myself to kind of start from scratch and uh, start a new, a new, you know, chapter in my journey. It's a really cool story, man, because like you said before, it's almost like you implemented everything that you learned in the cage and your whole entire fighting experience implemented into your personal life because, now you're you, now you're outside of the cage, but you got a fight going on right now. It's an internal battle, dealing with depression, um, and you've got to find a way out. And sometimes you just got to keep swinging until you're okay. And you kind of made it down there. And obviously, you know, hindsight, at the, at the time, it probably seemed like it was, you know, life sucks sometimes. So you can't really see what's going to happen in front of you. But now you look back and you're like, okay, I was able to fight myself out of it. Now I'm where I'm at. I'm I'm coaching. I'm training, and and it's great. Like you get it, and like you said earlier, you're doing something. You're working, doing what you love doing, and it's you know you feel like you you you've pretty much hit the high on life, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more with with what you were saying about you know martial arts helping you in real life too. Um, there's uh there's that's something that uh, Joe Rogan says, who's a comedian, he's a commentator for the UFC. He says martial arts is like a vehicle for life. It teaches you to deal with your, you know, your everyday um, challenges in life, just like you would in a fight. You know, a life is going to beat you up. Life's going to drop you on here on your foot, and you got to learn to get back up and go. All right, well, that set me back a little bit, but I'm going to keep fighting because that's in my nature. You know, I'm a fighter, and I'm going to keep figuring this thing out. And that's yeah, you nailed it when you said that, man. That's exactly how it was. Is I moved down here, and I knew that it wasn't going to be easy, but I knew that that I had the drive to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish, and that's you know that's exactly what's been happening ever since I moved down here. That's so dope, dude. It's so dope, and I want to know a little bit about this upcoming fight you've got. Um, I saw this posted on social media. Um, you, you got something going on. Is it still in in the works? And how? Where? When is it? And can you talk about this fight? Yeah, absolutely. So the next fight is going to be May twenty seventh. It's a Sunday. Um, it's for a promotion called Triumph, uh, Triumphant Combat Series, and or Triumphant Muay Thai, excuse me. And um, it's a Muay Thai fight. So one thing that happened when I moved down here to San Diego is I ended up, um, I found a coach who was mainly a Muay Thai coach, but he had, he had opened a, an MMA gym. And uh, I came down here, and uh, his name's Carl Gebhardt, and I started learning from him and just kind of synced up with him and realized, like, whoa, you know, I found my coach, man. It was, it was really strange how I just, 
I found a coach who understood me as an individual and as a fighter, and he knew how to coach me and just kind of how to get me better. And um, one of the first times I trained with him, I felt myself progress more in that small time frame, like an hour. And then I had in, in months, you know, I just felt myself get better, and I just felt like I had found the right coach for me and that my career was about to, to skyrocket. So um, we started training Muay Thai, and I started just really, really sharpening my, my striking skills. I kind of put the MMA on the back burner. You know, I was I kind of fell out of love with MMA and was looking for something new, but I still wanted to fight, you know. So I, I discovered Muay Thai and absolutely fell in love with Muay Thai. Um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful, violent art. You know, there's no other way to say it. It's, it's punches, it's kicks, it's knees, it's elbows, it's clinch, it's all standing. Um, and so and I just started learning this, and I, I couldn't get enough, man. I was in the gym every single day, sometimes twice a day, just trying to soak up as much of this sport as I could and learn from one of the, the greatest coaches that I've, you know, that I've ever found. And uh, so obviously the next step was to test my skills. I'm like, all right, let's do a, let's do a Muay Thai fight. And uh, I had my first Muay Thai fight last year in uh, July, and I won that. I won a unanimous decision all four rounds. I smoked the dude, and I just, man, I loved it. It literally ignited my soul. And uh, dabbled in MMA again after that. I knew that, you know, MMA is still the goal. I'm still trying to get to the UFC. I'm still trying to be a world champion in MMA. That's always the goal. Um, but I just feel like, you know, there's there's multiple paths to that destination. And uh, for now, I'm really, really digging Muay Thai. So um, after the MMA fight, I kind of told my coach, I was like, hey, man, I, you know, I kind of want to do Muay Thai again. And as soon as we made that switch, an opportunity to fight for this promotion, Triumphant, um, arose and um it's a it's a good promotion it's a it's a it's kind of a it's coming up on the scene but it's going to do big things for muay thai and uh, so i was very honored that the promoter um picked me to fight on this card and uh, yeah so that's what i've been doing that for the past two months now is just sticking to muay thai and sharpening that sword and yeah the next fight is may 27th is a sunday um the really cool thing is it's going to be on ufc fight pass so if you have you know like a smart tv you can just download the ufc app and you'll be able to watch it on Fight Pass, which is really cool because that means it's going to reach a large audience. And uh, the way I fight, man, I'm always putting it on people, putting on exciting fights and uh, talking smack, running my mouth, you know, showboating. So I'm always going to draw fans whether you like that or you don't, you're going to watch me. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked, man. I'm excited for this next one. Sick. Okay, so we know where to watch you and how to watch you. Um, and that was what I was going to – I wanted to ask you something about this because – in regards to fighting, this is just a question that always comes up uh, when it comes to like getting ready for the fight. You have to you have to make weight. Um, are you fighting like how does the MMA weight classes compare to Muay Thai? And when you're cutting weight, what are your strategies for that? Yeah, man. Uh, so the the MMA weight classes um, they're always like in ten pound increments, right? It starts at, at flyweight for for men, one twenty five, and it goes to one thirty five, forty five, fifty five, and up, right? And for striking, it's a little bit different. They have them a little closer together. Um, it's still a little weird. I'm still kind of figured out myself, actually. Cause there's boxing one too, or there's one like every five pounds or something like that. So there's a little more weight classes in Muay Thai. It's, it's a little bit different. Um, like this fight is going to be actually at one hundred thirty pounds. Um, which I'm not sure if that's even a catch weight or if that's an actual weight class. I don't really care, man. They just, you know, I get an opportunity to fight. I don't care what weight is that I'm going to fight. So um, this one will be at 130. The normal uh, weight class that I was fighting at for, for my last fight is um, 127 is the weight. And uh, when it comes to weight cutting, man, I've, I've never cut a lot of weight. I don't think it's smart. I know some guys like to have that, that size advantage, that strength advantage. 
Um, I don't feel like I need it. I'd rather be the smaller, faster guy and just dance around you and light you up where you're trying to, you know, outmuscle me, whatever. Um, I don't mind being smaller. I've fought a lot of bigger dudes in my career. So I just don't think it's smart to severely dehydrate your body, you know, 24 hours before a, a giant competition like a professional fight. Um, so I've never been too big on weight cutting. I'll usually, like, for this fight, I'll probably end up cutting, like, six pounds, you know, seven pounds, whatever. Um, a lot of it is dietary changes. Like, for my, when I had to get down to 127 for my last Muay Thai fight, that was the lowest weight I was ever enough to compete at in my fighting career. So one dietary change that I made, or at least that my body decided to make, was that I cut out a lot of meat. And I didn't eat any red meat or chicken or pork. And I just, I kept fish. And then I kept eggs, so I was pescatarian. And when I did that, my body just shed like 10 pounds, 10 pounds that I didn't even know I had to lose. I'm already a, you know, a little guy, so it was pretty shocking to me to see my body kind of transform. Um, but for this fight, I, I went back to, to eating meat again a couple months ago, and I love it. It's just, it's just I feel stronger. I feel, you know, it's just, I enjoy it a little bit more. So um, I'm walking around a little bit bigger nowadays. And uh, for my weight cuts, man, I'll just I usually do like a, a salt bath or I'll do some sauna time. You know, it, it's never too hard for me to make weight. Again, coming from wrestling, like I know how to do it. And I don't cut a lot of weight. So, I, you know, I don't stress too much over the weight cuts. I don't think it's smart, you know. Good for you, man. That's, that's awesome. I've heard some drastic ones that will drop 30 pounds in less than 10 days. Like it's that's to me it's – it's terrible for you. Um, it's actually like, I, I just don't know from, I don't know from just like your natural body reactions, even if you can make the weight even, and you know, everyone rehydrates with their Pedialyte or whatever they're drinking. Um, I still don't feel like your body's up to its normal speed by the time you come up to the fight after you've dropped so much. It's like, it's impossible to do that. There's a science to it. You know, there really is like the guys at the highest level, they hire nutritionists, they hire these you know, wizards to come in and coordinate their, their weight cut with them. And there is a way to do it right. You know, there's a way to drop 20 pounds in, you know, a few days and keep your body at that low weight for just a small amount of time and then weigh in. And there's guys who are literally, they'll, they'll weigh 20 pounds more on fight night than they get on the weigh-in. You know, so there's, there's a science to it and there's the right way to do it. But again, I agree with you. I don't think it's healthy and I don't think you fully recover from that if you're making these big weight cuts. So, you know, I don't, I don't enjoy it. I, you know, I'll fight anybody. I don't really care. I don't need to cut weight. I prefer to just cut. I'd fight at my natural weight, you know, if I could. So, yeah, well, props to you, man. That's the way to go. It's the fighter mentality. So, Brendan, to, to wrap this up, um, I kind of want to just ask you uh, why our listeners should be paying attention to Brendan Raftery, whether it be Muay Thai or MMA, and where do you see yourself? You've been in San Diego for roughly two years now since you made that move after your Bellator match. Where do you see yourself in, in the next two years since so much has already happened, and why should we be paying attention to you, and what should we be looking for? Sure, yeah. So, I mean, I always say, like, you know, you never really know where you're going to end up. You always have a plan for yourself and what you think is going to happen. You know, I see myself still in San Diego in two years, honestly. Like, I love it here, man. I feel like I found my city. I want to. I want San Diego to be, like, my headquarters. I want to get a house here. I, you know, San Diego's awesome. Dude. I love it here. The people, the scenery, the beach. I, I need the beach in my life. I need more sunshine than, than rain clouds. You know what I mean? So as far as, like, where I'm going to be, I, I plan on staying in San Diego, man. I don't plan on going anywhere else. But, again, that's not really up to me. We'll see. We'll see what the universe has in store for me. It's not really my call sometimes. Um, as far as fighting, man, you should watch me because I'm exciting. You know, I always try to be exciting. I think that as fighters, we are we are entertainers, and we kind of have an obligation to entertain the fans. You know, there's a lot of coaches who aren't 
who aren't fond of that mentality unless they know your job is to get the win. And like, yeah, I, for sure, you're trying to get the win, but there's people who are paying money to come and see you, and they want to be entertained. And so that's that's kind of what I try to do. And you know, not only for the fans, I do it for myself, man. Like I'm in there running my mouth and, and holding my hands up in the air because I enjoy it. Like it's fun. I like messing with my opponent because you know it either gets them pissed off or it makes them freeze up. Both of which I want, you know, because it pulls you out of your game plan. So. Um, I'm an exciting fighter, man. I'm, I'm kicking people in the head. I'm, 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 you know, I have hand speed that is unmatched by anybody. I haven't seen anybody, you know, with speed like me. I'm accurate, and I put on exciting fights, man. So that's why you should watch Brendan after Hell yeah, man. So everybody needs to be paying attention. So May 27th, that's coming up soon. And then going forward, keep an eye on Brendan Raftery. Brendan, I appreciate you joining the show, brother. Um, man, I'm going to be keeping an eye on you. These are the types of people I root for. It's like we always get caught up in these – you know, whenever you're rooting for anyone, whether it be an athlete or a singer or whatever it might might be, we all know the popular people. And as a podcaster, people always say, "Well, I know the 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 main sports casters and all these popular guys, but nobody really like talks about the up and coming talent that we should be rooting for." You're one of those guys I root for because you're you're from my town and you're doing something, doing something that we should all be paying attention to. Why do we all have to be looking at the big-time fighters? Why aren't we paying attention to the up-and-coming ones? Why can't you be the same as them? You can, and that's why I'm rooting for you. So I'm stoked for you, brother. Um, and for all the listeners out there, I hope you enjoyed this interview. should be rooting for Brendan Raftery as well. And uh, you know the drill. Subscribe to the show. We'll talk to you guys next week. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars, and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.